Welcome to When They Popped. Let's rewind to a simpler time together and dive deep into the music, movement, and mania behind our favorite Y2K celebrities and trends. Hosted by Kelsey and Mary, it's time for another episode of When They Popped. Hello, and welcome to When They Popped. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Mary. Guys, my voice is back. Mary and I tried to record this episode two days ago, and I was literally just like squeaking like a little mouse. So thank you, Mary, for your patience. Yes, she sounds so much better now. She was like a little croaky frog. It did not sound like she felt very good. It wasn't good. You know, Beyonce in her song Hated, she has this part where she goes, look around everybody on mute. And everyone in the stadium is supposed to be quiet. And then like she takes a beat and it's like dead silent in the stadium. And then she goes, look around, it's me and my crew. And then everyone like starts jumping and going crazy. (laughs) Well, I went on mute for a full week. So I took it a little too literally, I guess. I felt like Ariel on all my like work calls. I was like typing while everybody else was talking. (laughs) (laughs) She's back, bitches. She is back. back. Just briefly before we dive into today's episode, we had a lot of 90s con updates this week. The professional photos went on sale. The after parties going on sale this coming Monday. Let us know if you're going. I'm going to be there. would love to see anybody who is there and a listener as well. So keep us posted. Shall we get into today's episode? Yes, please. Okay, so last week we laid the groundwork with our... Raven Simone and all of her amazing accolades because she's a Disney queen. And this week, as promised, we are breaking down the Cheetah Girls. And before we get into it, it's disclaimer time. We do not own or claim to own the rights to the songs or performances in this Cheetalicious episode. And the purpose of these Cheetalicious clips is for commentary and critique growl power. Okay, so everyone here is about to feel really old (laughs) because we've been singing because we are sisters. We stand together for 20 years. Uh, What? Like what? The looks, the songs, the choreo, the breakout performances. There's so many reasons to love this movie franchise and we're about to break them all down. So Mary, are are you ready? I was born to dive into this. This is my destiny, Kelsey. The Cheetah Girls had me by the throat for so long. And just the message, the music, the fashion, and the cast of these films were just perfect. And they also helped fuel my pop star Delulu's. If the Cheetah Girls could do it, why couldn't I? I know. It was just fantastical enough where I was like, no, that could never happen. But then it was just relatable enough where I was like, well, maybe. Maybe. There's a (laughs) chance. Maybe there is a really famous producer alumni that went to my high school who could see me in a talent show. And maybe I could be really famous and become a global pop star. Anyways, we're going to break down the whole franchise starting from the very beginning. We mentioned this in our music-songs made for movies and TV episode. But this movie, The Cheetah Girls, it was the first Disney Channel movie musical. This laid the foundation for all of the Disney Channel original musicals that you love. And now today, like High School Musical, Camp Rock... Teen Beach movie, all of them. And if you don't realize how monumental that is, then I can't help you. So let's go back to the beginning. The Cheetah Girls premiered on August 15th, 2003. So you could say that we timed this episode pretty perfectly. 
as you know, this movie is about a girl group of four friends, Galleria, Chanel, Aqua, and Dorinda, who want to be the first freshmen ever to win their New York City school's talent show. And while they're auditioning, a famous alumni of the school, Jackal Johnson, expresses interest in signing the girls to his record label. And as their big break inches closer and closer, the group totally splinters as their ego and ambitions get the best of them. Ultimately, when they find out that the music producer just wants the girls to lip sync and shoehorn them into a weird-ass group that wears animal masks, which results in founding Cheetah Girl Galleria leaving the group before their record deals even signed, the Cheetah Girls are broken up and she assumes the girls go on to sign the record deal with Jackal. All around the world. All around the world. Oh my God. Can we just say Galleria was to me unbearable in this movie? She just got caught up in the me, 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 me for a while there. She almost like drove the other girls away. But luckily, in true Cheetah Delicious founder form, as soon as she saw those animal masks, she was like, wait, that's not us. That's not the Cheetah girls. And I get why she walked. Honestly, like as a Capricorn, like I am the gallery. <laughs> Think about it. In every group project, you need someone who's like, guys, we have deadlines. Like yes. someone needs to be the one to open the PowerPoint doc and make the template and then assign it to other people. You know, she was just trying to keep a focus on their goal. I am team gallery. That is more in the Cheetah Girls, too. I think in Cheetah Girls, once she was like, I'm the founding member, oh, yeah, I'm you're the right. lead. You're right. But I agree. No, you're so right. She was like getting a little ego. I'm the writer and founder. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when Chanel cries into her mom's arms, the cheetah girls are over. I that has just stuck with me for all of these years. Like I could mouth it perfectly when I rewatched the movie for this episode. Luckily, the cheetah girls don't end up taking the deal and the group reunites, though it's unfortunately their reunion at the peril of Galleria's dog Toto, who falls into a giant pit of construction on a New York City street. Oh my God, I totally forgot about Toto. And like, as soon as I saw that a dog was implicated, I was just like, not Toto. I know. And his name is Toto. It's like kind of funny. But apparently there was nothing else breaking news across New York City that night because there's a live news feed showing little Toto and Galleria just frantically screaming to her dog, trying to get him out of this. Like he's like stuck in some pipe or something Mm -hmm. in some street construction. And all the other cheetah girls who are broken up and it's like the sad part of the movie, they all see this live news feed and they all run to the rescue. They're jumping out of their cabs in gridlock traffic, running down the street and they're singing. They're coming together allows Toto Photos, safe removal from the <laughs> hole in which he lodged himself. And I feel like this scene is especially iconic because the girls are running to look at this dog in a ditch while wearing the same color coordinated <laughs> outfits. Like they weren't planning to perform that. Like they were broken up. The cheetah girls are over. So like it was just kind of crazy to me that they all showed up perfectly coordinated in true Disney style. I loved it. So Jackal, who we mentioned earlier, he's the music producer. He hears the girls on live TV and he's like, oh, my God, I need to sign them. Like, I shouldn't have tried to turn them into this other group. So he calls them up and he's like, girls, I need to sign you. And they're like, sorry, Jackal, you had your chance and you tried to play us and make us somebody we weren't. And we are too too delicious for you. Goodbye. This is my favorite scene, I think, in the movie when Raven hangs up the phone on Jackal and she's screaming and she does a little like hand fans movement. So that was my quick and down and dirty synopsis just to jog everyone's memory. Mary, I'm dying to hear what were your favorite memories or moments from this movie? 
oh, where do we even begin? Like, okay, all the music. The music in this was just ridiculous. So good. And I just loved how they would like get in a formation and do their routine kind of in the middle of the street. Like you said, everyone's in pitch. Everyone knows exactly what choreo they're doing. And they're always consistently in some sort of coordinating outfit. I love when they went to Jackal's office for their like first kind of tryout with him. Raven's like, hit it. And they just break out into this like choreographed song and dance. <laughs> it was perfect. And this was truly my Super Bowl, like this concept, a girl group. And like, let's talk about the fashion and the, the style of this movie. Raven Simone wore chunky star earrings in this movie. So I wore chunky star earrings from Claire's for years. All those one-liners we got, like Prada or Nada, baby. If he can't respect my art, he can't have my heart. Like, oh my, I was just like a broken record. And they all had like nicknames, Chuchi, Bubbles, Doe. And ultimately, like the plot was enjoyable and it honored the bonds and friendships we have as women, how important our gal pals are. And it may not always be easy or perfect, but our girlfriends are so important. I just think it's such an A++++ Disney movie, albeit cheesy at times. Yeah, something else that stuck out to me rewatching like as an adult was how seriously they took their own dreams and ambitions. Yeah. You know, I think we all can remember as a young person having big dreams. I wanted to be an actress, but mm -hmm. I never took my own self seriously that it would like actually happen. So like, why would anybody else? So it was very earnest, their pursuit of becoming pop stars. And they convinced their parents to take them seriously. And I really like enjoyed seeing the parental child relationship too because they listen to their kids and I don't yeah. know I just I found that to be more poignant rewatching as an adult now so let's talk about Galleria's love interest okay so this role is played by Kyle Schmidt who was in the Disney Channel original movie Alley Cat Strike okay Every time I see this guy's face, I just imagine him bowling. This was a mm -hmm. Disney Channel original movie about bowling. A bowling league. There was literally no sport, no hobby, no matter how niche, that Disney Channel original movies did not cover. Like, we got motocross with motocross, mm -hmm. windsurfing with stepsister from Planet Weird, drag racing with Right on Track, surfing with Rip Girls, soapbox racing with Miracle in Lane 2, rollerblading and Brink. I mean, I can't believe it took them this long to make a movie about a music group, which seems so basic, like number one niche hobby of young girls. You think with all this like boy band pop star mania in our beloved era, like this time, that a music group would be one of the first things they did, honestly. Like, right. What? I think this just goes back to the resistance of the Disney executives to lean into the musical genre because they didn't think it was going to work. But then even Stevens comes out with this music episode and everyone's like, light bulb moment. Like, maybe this could work <laughs> for our movies. So, Mary, did you know that this series was actually inspired by a book? I owned the books. Oh my God, you did! Yeah. Clearly, I needed to read a little bit more because did you read them before the movies came out or did the movies no. encourage you to read the books? Yes. As soon as I saw the first movie, I went and got the books. I did not know before. Oh. Then this won't be news to you, but it was news to me. The books were written by Deborah Gregory and they're about five girls who form a singing group to achieve their dreams. And I was like, five girls? I thought Trader Girls only had four. Well, <laughs> the executives at Disney dropped the fifth character who appeared in the books, who was Aqua's twin sister, because they just couldn't find the right twin girls to play both 
her and Aqua. So interesting that they just sort of like rewrote that part. I just thought it was really cool that Deborah Gregory, her inspiration for the musical group was Destiny's Child. Love that. And it was really inspired by her own childhood dreams also of being a superstar. So I read that growing up, she never really had a close circle of friends and she created them in this series. That's what they were to her. She created the friend group that she wished she had. There were 22 books in the Cheetah Girl series. And in 2001, the series became the Blackboard Children's Book of the Year. So cool. So they clearly, the executives at Disney, they had a whole lot of inspo to work from for this franchise. So now let's talk about the movies themselves. So first things first, this movie had a stacked roster of producers, including executive producer Whitney motherfucking Houston, who, along with producer Deborah Martin Chase, also produced 1997's Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. Oh my God, I fucking love that movie. We need to do an episode on that. Yes. I just love how through this podcast, I've learned what Whitney Houston has done as a producer. Like, she already it was it's unmatched as a vocalist, but to find out, you know, Princess Diaries, the Cheetah Girls, all these things that she's involved in that I had no idea. Like everything she touches turns to gold. I'm convinced. A hundred percent. She's so talented in so many different ways. I'm with you. I still feel like I'm discovering new ways that mm-hmm. she created the culture that we grew up with. So let's talk about the actual cast. So we have Raven Simone as Galleria, aka Bubbles Garibaldi. I love her last name, Garibaldi. And we talk all about Raven in our last episode. So please listen if you haven't already. Raven was definitely the biggest name attached to this movie. The timing of this is all really interesting. That's what Raven had been airing for a few months when the movie came out. So she was still just like popping as the new reigning queen of Disney. This was all like happening at once to us young Disney walkers. <laughs> so Galleria has been best friends with Chanel since they were just divas in diapers, as Adrienne Balon, who plays Chanel, says. Her nickname is Chanel Chuchi Simmons. So Adrienne... I freaking love Adrian. This movie made me totally fall in love with her. She grew up in New York City, and you can't make this up. She was discovered by Ricky Martin in October of 1999 while she was performing in a church choir at Madison Square Garden. Apparently, like, Ricky shows up to this, like, children's choir performance, and he's like, give me your four best singers in the group. And Adrian was one of them. And she was asked to perform as one of his backup singers for his show later that night as part of his Live in La Vida Loca tour. Like, I think I would freaking faint. Like, can you imagine? Again, just like jealous. I dream this would happen, you know, with the Backstreet Boys or something. Like, this is like my dream come true. It's not fair. But like, okay, legends only. I get it. Ricky deserves props for this because honestly, I think she would have become famous one way or another Mm -hmm. because her voice is truly very special, very unique. These movies would be nothing without her little like cheetah riffs. She is the queen of riffs. And when you hear her, you know who you're hearing. You know it's Adrian Balon. I'm with you. She's such a delight to watch, <laughs> truly. And you're so right about her like becoming famous no matter yeah. what eventually because after that performance, she was spotted by a producer while she was on a field trip to a hospital in New York City. What? And this producer was like, you got to join this girl group, 3LW. Imagine just having that kind of charisma. <laughs> I'm also oh like, God. wait, that's kind of weird. Like, do producers literally just like approach children like on field trips and they're like, hey, call your mom. So Adrian knew exactly what she was doing as a cheetah girl because she was a member of an iconic girl group already with 3LW. 
but she apparently didn't know what she was doing when it came to acting. Adrian said that her Cheetah Girls audition was her first time ever reading a script. She told this funny story in an interview on The View several years later, and she said that she actually read the scene directions out loud when she did her audition for Cheetah Girls. This was the iconic speech that she gives to Sabrina Bryan's character, Dorinda, when she finds out that Dorinda is a foster child. And she's like, girl, you have a great heart. Like, you are who you are because what's in your heart. And then the stage direction said, hugs her and pulls her close. Like, Adrian read that. Like, hugs her and pulls her close. And she said that the directors and the producers were just, like, dying laughing. And that Deborah, who was one of the main producers she pulled her aside and was like, hey, that's not something for you to read. Like, go back and do it again. I thought that was like very funny. And that story was just so endearing to me. And she's such a good little actress. I really couldn't believe that. You know, clearly there's some element of overacting because it's like a Disney Channel original movie, but she just seemed like such a natural to me. So speaking of 3LW, that brings us to Keely Williams, who plays Aquanet, aka Aqua. And Keely got her start in 3LW. So Keely was kind of like the Beyonce of 3LW. Her mom was their manager. Her mom formed the group. So she was like one of the original founding members. And I really love Keely in this role. But did you know? She almost didn't make the cut. Solange Knowles was originally going to portray Aqua. And Solange was hired for the role. But she ended up pulling out of production due to the promotion and release of her own debut album, Solo Star. And it's interesting because so much about this character just screams Solange. Like, mm. Aqua is supposed to be from Texas. Solange is from Houston. Aqua carries hot sauce in her purse. She got hot sauce in her bag. Swag. Now I'm like, okay, is that line in formation actually a Cheetah Girls reference by Beyonce? Like, what? Honestly, with this movie's impact, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like, especially with the Solange connection. This movie had something for everyone in it, and its reach was astronomical. I wouldn't even be surprised if it made its way all the way to Beyonce. Oh, 100%. She was aware of it. Like, 100,000%. Because they also were, like, in the Disney sphere with Proud Family. There's no way that they didn't know about the Cheetah Girls, but I want to bring this back up later. First, we need to talk about our girl, Cyprina Bryan, who played Dorinda Doe Thomas. And this is the group's resident choreographer, but she's hiding this huge secret from her friends. She's a foster child, and she works during the week to get credits for working at the dance studio that she loves. Her role was actually inspired by the author of the Cheetah Girls book, Deborah Gregory. She was actually put into foster care when she was just three years old after her mother was institutionalized. And she ended up aging out of the system at age 18. So it's very cool that they kept that element intact for the books. And I really love how diverse this movie and this story is, not just in ethnicity and race. And they talk about that a lot, like, oh, everyone's a mix of everything. But also their socioeconomic backgrounds and their family structures. Galleria has both a mom and a dad. Chanel just has her mom. Mm. I just thought it was really interesting. And it felt like a super inclusive story where everyone could relate to someone in the cast. So let's talk about Sabrina Bryan. Surprisingly to nobody, she was a dancer. I mean, this girl can move. She was an extra in Matilda. Oh, oh. my God. Iconic movie. <laughs> and she made guest appearances on a few TV shows that you probably heard of before. She landed her dream role in the Cheetah Girls. She was in Bold and Beautiful, Grounded for Life. Do you remember that show? I loved that show. Oh, my God. She was also in a couple episodes of Disney Channel's The Jersey, but she was just dying to get cast in a bigger Disney Channel role. She said she went on so many auditions before getting the part of Dorinda. And she read for every single part 
of the Cheetah Girls. And by her third callback, only Dorinda hadn't been filled yet. So she and all of the other Dorinda hopefuls read with Raven, Adrian, and Solange because Solange was still supposed to be Aqua. And only after several auditions, according to her, with acting, singing, and dancing was she chosen for Dorinda. I mean, if you're going to get cast for one Disney Channel role... I mean, how amazing was it that it was like a multi-movie, album, tour, franchise like the Cheetah Girls? I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better. And I think, you know, they casted her right. Like, I think she is perfect for Dorinda. It all worked out. Okay, so let's talk about the bops. I mean, first of all, did you know, Mary, that the soundtrack almost didn't even happen? <laughs> like, Sabrina Bryan said in... I know. Sabrina Bryan said in an interview like a few years ago that their contracts were for the movie. So they had to go back in and like renegotiate and do a whole new contract for the actual soundtrack music. So obviously they recorded music for the movie, but there were just no plans to release it commercially since Disney Channel's previous original films never had soundtracks before. Can you imagine releasing this movie and what a missed opportunity it would have been without releasing a soundtrack? So Deborah Martin Chase, again, the producer... She was a visionary and she had to convince all of the Disney executives to get new contracts for all the film's actresses so that they could release the music as a sound. I mean, I can't even imagine how dumb they all would have felt if they didn't do this. I do not want to live in a world where this soundtrack does not exist. Are you kidding? Right. I know. But it's also just like we would have been dying. There was no YouTube back then again. Like there was no way that we could have gotten this music unless it was played on the radio. And I'm sure the Disney execs are super grateful for Deborah's vision and persistence because the Cheetah Girl soundtrack debuted at number 33 on the Billboard 200 and went two times platinum. And it sold more than 2 million copies in the U.S. alone. It's been 65 weeks on the charts. I mean, what the hell? It's one of the best-selling albums from Walt Disney Records, tied with High School Musical and Hannah Montana. It's like mind-blowing to me that they almost missed this huge opportunity. It's like a business, but also for us as consumers. So some of the hits on the soundtrack that were sung by the Cheetah Girls were Together We Can! This is sung in the opening when they're performing at a children's birthday party and we see them, you know, stumbling a bit over the choreo. <laughs> they're still getting the hang of being a four-girl group because this group was originally just Galleria and Chuchi Chanel. And then they invited Aqua and Doe to really round out the group. This song is honestly one of my favorites. And they're like, walk in space, save the human race. Walk in space, save the human race. Do you think we ought to? I just really love the message here and the beat. It told us everything we needed to know about their message as a group right from the opening credits. Also, like, imagine performing anything at a children's birthday party. Like, <laughs> kids are the like, worst critics. And they were, like, laughing at them. And I was like, oh, my God, cringing, cringing. Yeah, I mean, I was a camp counselor for a couple summers for a theater camp. And I'm, like, still recovering from some of the burns <laughs> that those kids delivered to me. And this was, like, 15 years ago. Anyways, the next track on the album is Cinderella, which is actually the first single from the album. This song was not new because it was originally released in 2000 by a girl group called I-5. And then it was covered by Play in 2001. 
in the movie, this is definitely the best outfit, in my opinion. I love the white and the cheetah. Mm. And it's very Destiny's Child inspired, where they all have the same patterns and palette, but their own individual spin on it. Like Aqua, because she's from Texas, has this sort of like prairie girl skirt going on. I would always go back and forth over whose outfits I like the most. And if I had to wear one, like, which one would I choose? (laughs) Oh, man. I loved when they did this as their like audition, I think, for the talent show. And the first time I saw the movie, I remember clear as day, I was like, what is play doing the vocals for this? Like I, I was so confused because I was a play girly growing up and immediately recognized it and like obviously loved the Cheetah Girls version as well. Yeah. So I remember watching this and I was like, why do I know the words to this song? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it felt so familiar. So the next song on the album is Girl Power. This one is much, but Mary, I'd love your thoughts on it. Oh, I I loved it. I made mistakes before, but I know I'm not perfect. It's okay, but who could ever be? Like, great messaging. I just, again, love the scene where they perform for Jackal. I think it's like a great little pop bop. It's super cute. Very empowering. But then we get Cheetah Sisters. I mean, probably the most iconic song of the entire franchise. This song was written by Jamie Houston, who also wrote We're Breaking Free from High School Musical. So bops only. Oh my God, we have an open invitation for Jamie to come on the pod. He is like our somewhat Max Martin of Disney Channel at this point. Cheetah Sisters is second to none. We listened to this on our Walkmans, like on repeat. It was just so good, so catchy. It still hits. It's not on Apple Music though. So like I am very perplexed about that and I have to listen to the live version, which is fine, but I would like that back in my rotation. Thank you. I know. Why isn't the first Cheetah Girls album on Spotify? It's not on Apple Music either. It's really confusing to me, but Cheetah Girls 2 is and Cheetah Girls 1 were. Yes. Anyways, Cheetah Sisters is the one that I definitely sing the most in my day-to-day life. I don't know. It's just like the girl power anthem, I feel like, that everyone in our generation can relate to. And yeah, so there are some other songs that appeared on that album, too, that weren't sung by the Cheetah Girls' Girlfriend by Char. This song triggers this memory for me when Raven and Chanel do their little dance in front of the record store. And it's like this very big crowd of very impressed (laughs) adults who gather to watch and like applaud their choreographed dance routine. And I died and I have so many questions like how they know what routine they were going to do like to the song. Like I just... Uh, core memory unlocked. That's what happens when you're divas in diapers with somebody. I, that's like what I thought I looked like with my best <laughs> friend during our sleepovers when we'd perform for our parents. And it's not at all what I look like. <laughs> so the next song on the album is Breakthrough by Hope Seven. This is one of my favorites from the entire album it's so fun it's when chanel is shopping it's just like such an upbeat fun little y2k bop i love it so much we also got end of the line by christy mack and hope seven again this was a sad song this was when everyone thought the cheetahs were disbanded and then we finally got come on by sonic chaos so come on come on come on 
I mean, this album was so successful that Walt Disney Records soon created a real-life girl group of Adrian, Kaylee, and Sabrina. Raven was offered a spot in the group, but she declined because she really wanted to focus on her solo career and her TV series, That's So Raven. I feel like it's super similar to what we saw with the Hannah Montana and Ali Mashaka. I totally understand why Raven wouldn't want to be totally enveloped in Cheetah Girls while she's trying to develop her own solo career. So Mary, you asked me this question a couple days ago and I was like, we need to save it for the pod. And it was, do you think that Solange regrets not being in this lightning in a bottle Disney experiment? So I'd love to discuss this. I'm conflicted about it because her image now is obviously so different, but whose isn't from when they're like a teenager on Disney Channel. I feel like this was a huge missed opportunity for her, but it also could have sort of force fit her into like a typecast role that maybe wouldn't fit with the trajectory Mm -hmm. of her career. It's really hard because I bet when that came out and the success was so astronomical and her album obviously didn't even come close to that kind of success, there may have been some like temporary regret or (sighs) disappointment. But hopefully, you know, by now, that's something that she's, you know, at peace with. Oh, yeah, for sure. I would just think that she would have faced the similar conundrum that Raven did, where she's a solo artist and being associated with a group I can totally see why that would have been a conflict for her anyways. Mm. So I feel like this was the right move for her to not participate in it. But yeah, that must have been that must have been tough. So obviously, Disney is looking to capitalize on this mega smash movie and soundtrack success that they had on their hands. And honestly, notably, this is the first time we noticed kind of the the three Cheetah Girls, Sans, Raven, Simone, branching out and formulating this girl group. In October of 2005, we get Adrian, Keeley, and Sabrina, and the release of their first album as an actual group separate from the movie franchise, Cheetalicious Christmas. This album features seven classic Christmas songs, as well as six original songs, one of them being Cheetalicious Christmas. Okay, Cheetalicious Christmas stands unite. This is such a bop. And this was the first single off of the album. And you can listen to it any time of the year. Because let me tell you, Adrian just sounds so good on it. It's such an upbeat, little catchy, happy song. I love it. This Christmas album peaked at number 74 on the Billboard 200 charts. Not too shabby. And so following on this continued success in 2005, the three Cheetah Girls, again, without Raven, went on tour to support this Christmas album. And when I tell you this tour was stacked, we had Allie and AJ who went along with them as the opening act to support their own album Into the Rush. Like what an awesome combo. My girls. And the Jonas Brothers also performed as surprise guests for a total of 10 shows of the tour promoting their debut album it's about time oh my god my boys i know and just perfection this concert was obviously very christmasy and cheetah girls themed very on brand they did a total of 17 shows in december of 2005 so as you would expect and as you know as soon as disney saw these numbers from the music the movie the tours they knew they had to immediately greenlight a sequel, and that's what they did. And we got the second movie in the trilogy, 
The Cheetah Girls 2. And that came out in August of 2006. This was, again, another smash success. And the Cheetah Girls take a whirlwind tour of Spain to pursue their dreams of pop superstardom. International pop superstardom, I will say. Señoritas Cheetahs! Yes, a musical with a Spanish twist. The premiere of The Cheetah Girls 2 received the highest ratings of all Disney Channel movies at the time. A viewership of 8.1 million people. Again, it beat the premiere ratings of High School Musical and Cadet Kelly. And becoming the highest rated Cheetah Girls film in the trilogy. The film is the eighth highest rated Disney Channel original movie of all time. And it was also, on a sad note, the last film in the series to star Raven. I know it's a bummer about Raven, but I just love that this was the trailblazing Disney musical and that it's still like held up against the others. Like, I love that, that it's like the OG and it's still in the top 10. And it was the second one. Like, what? It's just so cool. Such a cool thing to look back on, reflect on. But anyhow, before I get sad about Raven departing let's focus on the time she was there in the sequel so once again a whitney houston production no surprise raven was also a producer on this movie and the majority of the original cast was back which again the recipe for success is alive and well here like just as we always say you need the original cast for a movie sequel to have a prayer at doing well so it it makes sense to me why this one did as good as it did So this entire movie, including the scenes that took place in New York, were shot on location in Barcelona during the spring of 2006. Okay, it makes so much sense that it was filmed in the spring, because if you've ever been to Barcelona in June, you know they would not have been able to wear all of those layers in that number in the Gaudi House Museum. Like, no freaking way. And I was also wondering, like, how did they get to perform there when it wasn't so crowded? That place is usually, like, teeming with tourists. It was just very cool. Some true Barcelona history. They talk about all the cool monuments in there. I I just freaking loved it. Oh, same. And let's talk through this plot briefly. So Chanel has to spend the summer in Barcelona with her and her mom's mega wealthy BF, Luke. And oh my God, Chanel is salty about this. She has to leave her friends and go to Barcelona for the summer. Like, what is this trend we are seeing in movies where kids are so pissed off about their lavish vacations? I know. Mary-Kate and Ashley, move over. There's another teen who doesn't want to spend the summer in Europe. Like, how dare your parents love you and want you to get a cultural experience? I know. So obviously the Cheetah Girls are devastated that Chanel is going to be gone for a whole month. Like, how dare she? And so always the brainstormer and Cheetah Captain Drill Sergeant. Galleria sees this as an opportunity for the Cheetah Girls to perform in the prestigious Barcelona Music Festival and gain international recognition. Such a cheesy part, but they have a sleepover at Galleria's house and they see a shooting star and they all wish for Barcelona so they can all be together for the summer and perform together. This part made me lol, like (laughs) actually out loud when I rewatched it. Galleria sets an alarm for 4 a.m. so that they can call the music festival to audition over the phone, like in Barcelona time. Wakes up, the lights are on because, you know, everyone sleeps with the lights on. And she wakes up Chanel because Chanel speaks Spanish and Galleria doesn't. She's like, Chanel, Barcelona's on the phone. And Chanel just perks up perfectly. And then they all wake up in a panic and sing in a perfect harmony. I mean, it's the beauty of a Disney movie. I loved it. It's just so hilarious. So hilarious. And something else I noticed rewatching that 
I didn't really appreciate when this first came out. I just have so much more appreciation of the humor from the moms and like the parents in these movies, like watching as an adult. The ad- adult humor is so cute. Like Chuchi's mom is like angsting, wondering if she's going to get proposed to. Is she going to get the ring? Like she's in Barcelona visiting his family. Like her and Galleria's mom have some like funny conversations about that. And they're like preemptively shopping for her wedding dress, even though he hasn't proposed. It's just like something that's so much more funny to me as an adult. Yes. And like Gallery's mom is strategizing what she can wear. And she's like, oh, a hat. I agree with you. I love their friendship. And I think it was a really smart move on Disney's part to include this adult friendship in the story too, because mm-hmm. it makes it more enjoyable for adults to watch the movie with their kids. And I feel like they'd be way more inclined to buy the DVDs, to listen to the music if they feel some sort of investment in it too. And if they don't mind it, on the background all the time. Like, right. have you heard of any parents like complaining about like Coco Melon? Like, no adult wants to watch freaking Coco Melon. But if it's a movie that an adult can enjoy too with some like fun references, I love it. So they nail the audition, of course. They go to Barcelona and as expected, the girls face these new challenges as they're navigating, you know, a different culture and also trying to make a name for themselves in this like competitive music scene. They meet a wealthy and up and coming local singer named Mari Sol. She's played by Spanish pop star Belinda, who offers them a chance to collaborate. There's just like a whole drama, but she creates kind of a dilemma for the group. And they have this struggle between, you know, pursuing their dreams as an individual and staying true to their friendship and the Cheetah Girls brand. Also, Marisol's mom is low-key trying to sabotage and break up the Cheetah Girls. And by low-key, I mean high-key. She is a piece of work. And I'll tell you, Galleria's mom knew something was amiss with her right away. I feel like Marisol's mom is the perfect villain for a Disney movie. Something about her, you could just tell that she's a snake. But it added another interesting layer to the story instead of just like, oh, we can't get our shit together. Like someone was actively trying to sabotage them too. A saboteur. So they're trying to prepare for this festival and there's conflict and disagreements leading to tension amongst the gals. Galleria's desire for creative control. Chanel's getting closer to Marisol. Aqua's off busy designing denim outfits with Galleria's mom. Dorinda meets a count who she's like teaching dance classes with. Side note, he was like really cute, right? Yes, yes. No, he was cute. Like we all were in love with him. (laughs) She was understandably distracted, but like none of the girls want to focus basically and they're off doing their own things. And Drill Sergeant Galleria is trying to get the girls to come together And she's ignored. And so she decides to leave Barcelona without saying goodbye to her cheetahs. Like, that was a big deal. She just left. She disappeared in the night. That was some drama. But, like, I will say, in the first movie, I thought Raven was, like, way too bossy, controlling, like, over the line. But here I was like, what the fuck? She's totally right. She wants the girls to, like, practice once, at least, for their international musical festival. Like, okay, I think Raven was the one in the right in this movie. Once again, I'm drawn to the iconic words of Beyonce when I say, I'm not bossy, I'm the boss. <laughs> like, this is some Capricorn energy. Someone needs to take a group by the reins. Otherwise, there's no direction. I am Team Galleria on this. Oh, same. This movie, she was right. But don't you worry, because amidst all these struggles and conflicts, they come together, they find a way to reconcile their differences. That's the cheetah way, baby. Growl power. Oh my God, the growl power sign at their graduation performance. Oh yeah. I'm going to find a way to just put that in everyday life now. Growl power. 
But like basically the other three girls recognize that they were in the wrong. Galleria was right. And they rush to the train station in their pajamas to convince Galleria that they are focused and ready to work. And because of this strong friendship and foundation, they manage to overcome this major obstacle and reunite just in time for their performance at the festival. I died at this scene, like seeing them with their little puppy dog eyes and their slippers and their pajamas Uh-oh. at the train station. Also, I mean, the acoustics sounded really good. So oh, yeah. it was just hilarious. It was so Disney. So they're finally at the festival. They've come together. They deliver their passionate and unique performance that showcases all their individual strengths while celebrating their unity as a group, which like another riveting plot twist. They're almost unable to perform at this festival because Marisol's mom is legit acting like a teenager and sabotaging the shit out of them still. Even Marisol is embarrassed by her mom's behavior. She's like, mom, stop. But in true Disney fashion, the girls win the top prize and they're officially international stars. And this last performance is quite a performance, let me tell you. It was this huge dance scene It brings in multiple characters from the movie, including the Count and Marisol. Raven's outfit in this, I feel like they kind of did her dirty for this performance. It's just this huge, like, boxy outfit and, like, an insane hat. I just feel like it would have been really hard to, like, perform and dance in this. But that's just me. Chanel is dressed like a bullfighter. I loved that They really got into the theme. Again, I was salivating over it. I couldn't hold a note to save my life. But in my mind, this was certainly my destiny. Oh, young Mary was inspired. I love that. I feel like this was definitely the best performance that they gave in the entire series. Like the dancing was next level. I love that we got a lot of aqua screen time in this too. I felt like they kept cutting to her. And normally it's like a lot of Sabrina in the dance sequences because she is just like such an incredible dancer. But I feel like everyone really stepped it up for this and everyone was on point. Truly on point. But in summation, I felt that the Cheetah Girls 2 is not just a story about like their pursuit for fame and superstardom, but also, again, the emphasis is on the value of friendship and staying true to yourself. Like the girls learned that their bond is stronger than whatever individual differences that they may have and that they can achieve great things together as long as they have each other's backs and they support one another. There is depth to this franchise, people. While the film was, you know, very cheesy at times, the chemistry and the story and the lessons about the power of friendship, it's just what us teens and tweens needed. The soundtrack was released in August of 2006. It debuted at number five on the Billboard 200 and sold over 1.4 million copies to date. Just like the original Cheetah Girl soundtrack, this one boasted another round of absolute bangers. The first one being The Party's Just Begun. The lead single from the soundtrack, The Party's Just Begun, peaked at number 85 on the Billboard charts. It was the girls' first song to chart, if you can believe that. It was definitely a Raven-heavy song. She was the lead vocalist on the track, for sure. Adrienne was too busy doing her little iconic riffs, and her voice, I think, in this is just so beautifully unique, and I was really taken by that in re-watching and re-listening. This one, to me, feels like the most successful song from the franchise that can, like, stand on its own. Like, a lot of their songs are about them as Cheetah Girls and being Cheetah Girls and loving Cheetah Girls and missing Cheetah Girls, and this one has the fewest, like, Cheetah Girl self-references, I feel like. I don't know. I feel like this would have been the one that we'd be most likely to hear on the radio or like at a middle school dance. (laughs) 
I mean, that's how I feel about Strut. And that's actually the next single from the movie. You gotta strut like you mean it. This is when the girls have arrived in Barcelona. It's time to explore this beautiful city. And it turns into them like running around singing this incredible pop song while doing so. It's it's chef's kiss. But I feel like this could be a tourism ad for Barcelona, honestly, because immediately after seeing this movie and this part, the scene in the movie, I I felt like I needed to go there. As we previously touched on in our best songs made for movie episode, Strut came out in June of 2006. It was also produced by the Jamie Houston the man behind like all the other songs we talk about, a true hit maker. And it debuted at number 60 on the Billboard Hot 100. And it was the second Cheetah Girls single to chart and their highest charting song. So it beat The Party's Just Begun. It peaked at number 53. Adrian Balon sings the lead vocals on this single. And let me tell you, this song was, again, made for her voice. This is the second best song of the entire franchise, in my opinion. The first one, obviously, being like Cheetah Sisters. Yes, Cheetah Sisters. Number you gotta strut like you mean it. I sing that in my head all the time. You're right, Mary. I take back what I said earlier. I agree with you. I like forget that it's a Cheetah Girl song. It just sounds right. like a fun song from Y2K. So next, we got the third single from the album, Step Up. That single premiered in August of 2006. It peaked at number 84 on the charts and is another song that's very heavy with the Raven vocals. Like, I thought this one was good. It just wasn't my favorite. I, like, can't even remember it. Like, just thinking about it, the song, it's like, it doesn't immediately spring to mind. Right. I understand that. So the fourth and final single we got, which was a banger, is Amiga's Cheetahs. And this one was also out in August of 2006. It was produced by, again, the legend Jamie Houston. It peaked at number 87 on the charts. It had a lot of Adrian vocals. I just felt like this was kind of their answer to Cheetah Girls from the first movie, like their Barcelona take on Cheetah Girls, Cheetah Sisters, aka Amigas Cheetahs. Again, this is what they perform at the festival in that final Mm -hmm. scene. It's a good one. I agree. This is definitely their banger. Okay, so we got some bops, we got the movie, and they have to support the success of this movie. So the girls went out on the party's Just Begun tour. And this is the second tour by the Cheetah Girls, yet another tour without Raven. This tour spanned from 2006 to 2007, had 86 dates. And for the final date on the tour, the Cheetah Girls performed in Houston with Miley Cyrus as the opening act. Other openers were Jordan Pruitt, And Vanessa Hudgens, like, again, just Disney queens popping out. Stacked with Disney stars. And can I just say for the 10,000th time that I cannot believe Disney didn't want to do a musical. Like, oh, my God. It's like, thank God someone saw the light, truly, for their sake. Deborah, the producer, Deborah, And Whitney Houston as the executive producer. Women crushing it. Believe women. Like, oh, my God. Seriously, I think you'll like this, Kelsey. This tour, the Party's Just Begun tour, had a nice little storyline or theme, if you will. And there was this man called Dr. Cool Cats, who was actually played by Mitchell Musso from Disney Channel. He sent the Cheetah Girls on a mission to gather the ingredients for growl power. And what are these ingredients, you ask? They're dreams, love, 
and most importantly, friendship. So the Cheetah Girls are able to find these ingredients by singing and dancing to the crowds. Oh my God, we love a concert theme. The set list obviously had songs from the Cheetah Girls 2 and Cheetah Girls 1. It must have been amazing. <laughs> Great. That sounds like the beginning of the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> it does. You know, when he's like making them... <laughs> To the ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that they like needed like to add like a theatrical element to it because they just like didn't have enough songs to do like a full concert without one? So it was more like a play musical. Maybe. I didn't even think of that. That's a good thought. So while they're on this tour, these are multitasking queens and the girls were busy writing and recording, pulling together another album they hoped would define their identity outside the Cheetah Girls Disney franchise. And uh, LOL, the end result was TCG, short for the Cheetah Girls. So far and distinct from... I know. (laughs) So that was the name of their second and final studio album. And it just doesn't make sense. They're trying to form their own own identity and they named the album the Cheetah Girls. Kelsey, I think this goes to like a valid point you made on another episode. The kind of confusion as to like if this is an actual girl group or like connected to the movie... And again, it's just like so ridiculous to me that this album is called TCG if they're trying to find their own identities. I just feel like this is confusing as F for the fans. And I think it's a big misstep from a marketing perspective. Like, how are you supposed to know when they're being the Cheetah Girls or TCG, as they call themselves, (laughs) like an acronym? Like, it's bad PR advice. I feel like if they wanted to start a girl group, they should have totally separated themselves and made like a brand new name so that it was super clear not just to their young fans but also to the parents like i wouldn't know the difference if i saw those three girls on an album cover and cheetah girls was anywhere written on it i would immediately buy it for my kid assuming that it was a part of the cheetah girls franchise I don't know. I feel like they got some bad advice with this one. I understand wanting to use the momentum from the Cheetah Girls and they found this like really amazing mix together. Like I totally can appreciate that. But I think by trying to define themselves, they didn't define themselves enough. They didn't go far enough to make them distinctive from the movie. And you're right, Mary. This is exactly what we saw happen with Hannah Montana, Miley Stewart, Miley Cyrus. People couldn't find the difference between Miley's character in the Hannah Montana series and herself. And I think that's why we saw such a crazy 180 from her in her public persona when she did, you know, Can't Be Tamed and came out really hard as this like, you know, quirky party girl bangers i i think that was all a reaction to her wanting to find her own identity but her fan base not being able to separate the artist from the art 100 percent. and so they gave us tcg it came out in 2007 debuted at number 44 and i wasn't a huge fan of this album was definitely growing out of this vibe a little bit at the time but i did enjoy their song fuego off of it Fuego was released as a lead single in September of 2007. The song has been described as a party anthem with Latin influence and also includes a sample of Lionel Richie's 80s hit, All Night Long. Notably, the girls were very involved in the writing of the tracks on TCG, and I noticed that our girl Cara Diaguardi and JC Chazé were each producers on a track. Kara and JC are always everywhere. We actually recently got a request for a Kara episode, and I think we need to add that to our calendar. Agreed. And this song is fire. I love it. 
It's so fun. <laughs> it is fun. That was my favorite off this album. But we're going to go right into the third and final film in this trilogy, The Cheetah Girls' One World, which was released in August of 2008. And it premiered with 6.2 million viewers, which actually was the lowest debut of the franchise. Again, this is their first and only attempt without Raven. I sound like a broken record, but we need everybody for a chance at a success in a sequel. That is just my opinion. And this was also not produced by Whitney's company. There's just so many things missing in this one just right off the bat. Anyhow, how they explained Galleria's absence in this movie was that she was off at school in Cambridge, which just like makes zero sense to me because if there was one member of the Cheetah Girls that I would have bet would have been the last Cheetah standing, it would have been Galleria. Like she was the most ride or die for the group. So like, I don't know. I just feel like they could have, they needed to come up with something a little more believable for her to explain her absence. But I digress. One thousand percent. Galleria would not have like the space cadet others have the IP of the Cheetah Girls without her. And I didn't watch this one like live like back when Mm-mm. it came out but it's on disney plus you know it was interesting it's also worth noting that this movie came out eight years after the original wow. so they're like grown-ass women now in this one so i think that's also why it was kind of hard they weren't like those young little doe-eyed girls anymore now they're in their like steadfast mid-20s <laughs> Yeah, it's just kind of like a desperate attempt to fulfill the trilogy, but just like the elements Mm. aren't there anymore, I think. But the Cheetah Girls are cast in a movie musical that will be shot in India. And once they get there, they get this a little bit of an unpleasant surprise that the director can only choose one of them to be in the movie. Of course, in true Cheetah fashion, it puts a bit of a strain on their friendship, but they decide to audition against one another and... Ultimately, Chanel is the one who gets the role, but she later refuses the part, realizing, as do the other cheetahs, that their friendship and unity is more important than furthering their individual or group careers because they are sisters and they stand together. So this is a happy ending, obviously. All three of them are dancing and doing a a great big number at the end. But uh, let's be real. I rewatched Cheetah's one and two in preparation of this episode and fully intended to do the same with Cheetah Girls 3. I got about a total of 45 minutes into this movie and just like had to stop. Like I just, it just seemed forced. It wasn't the same. The plot was even more cheesy if you can imagine that. And the music wasn't as good in my opinion. The songs weren't as catchy. It was just kind of a bummer. Yeah, like when they're walking down the street alone at night after they get in the fight over who should get a role, it just cuts from this really tense moment to them like all dressed up in night, like going out clothes, like walking down the street. And it just felt kind of like a series of music videos stitched together, like loosely. But I just think it was cool that they went to India. They showed Indian dance moves and Indian instruments and that part of the culture. I did think that was very cool that they like exposed U.S. audiences to Bollywood and that different culture. So I thought that was like the bright spot of it. But I couldn't make my way through it either. And it was filmed in India and a core memory was unlocked. I remember this so vividly because Adrian was dating Rob Kardashian at this time. And we see it in the show. They're both like stressing about her, you know, going to India for a month and they're both so new in their relationship. And like, it was definitely like a drama side plot in this season. Like, do you remember that whole side plot of the Kardashians? Yes. I I just, okay. When you brought that up, I was like, I can't believe that this movie overlapped with the Kardashians. Cause in my mind, those are like two totally different yeah. parts of my life. <laughs> 
first of all, that show has been on forever, the Kardashians, and also just goes to show how much time lapsed between the first movie and the third movie. But I thought right. her and Rob were so sweet as a couple. I was really sad when they broke up, and I've just always rooted for Adrian just as a person. All the sisters seem to still really like her, and so I feel like that just... Oh, she's the one that got away for Rob 100%. Okay, so this movie also obviously got a soundtrack, and it was released in August 2008. It has elements of Indian music kind of incorporated into it. All of the girls had opportunities for a solo song. The only song that I remember sticking out to me as having bot potential was One World. enjoyed this one and it has honestly such a great inclusive message one world I, I felt like it was kind of like a this land is your land this land is my land but make it disney pop i like that they wore the traditional saris i love that they had the traditional indian dance moves i love that they brought in indian actors i thought it was very cool i agree i do like that song but 10 days after the release of the movie, the One World Tour was announced and the three Cheetah Gals went back on the road doing 46 shows from October to December in 2008. Uh, some sexist drama ensued, however. Midway through the tour, Adrian had some explicit photos of herself leaked online and Adrian stated that the photos had been stolen from her laptop at JFK Airport. Like, what? How? Like, I just need more information about that. But like... There was some obvious like Disney related backlash to that. And a few of their tour dates were canceled as a result, including, you know, a big deal performance at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Us Weekly later reported that the act was a publicity stunt done to break Adrian from her typical Disney star image. She denied this. Wow. I had no idea that any of this happened. Do we do we think Chris Jen Jenner? <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but I don't know. There's some interesting parallels here. I remember also when this happened with Vanessa Hudgens and it is so shitty and so one-sided that like a crime happened to these girls and you're blaming them. Like, I'm sorry. Good for them for taking a photo of them when they feel good about themselves so they can like look back on it when they're old and gray and be like, yeah, I was really hot. (laughs) Like every woman, every person is entitled to do that. Just don't even get me started. No, I'm with you, Mary. And I feel like that's a place where we've seen a lot of growth. So the third movie was obviously the final movie of the trilogy. And we are now in a PCG post Cheetah Girls era. And here's kind of the rumblings since the end of that era, because as I alluded to earlier, there was obviously some drama with Raven leaving the franchise. And in 2016, during an episode of The View, actress Lynn Whitfield was on, aka Raven's mom in the movies. Side note, she's like stunning and like so classy and beautiful. I just mm-hmm. couldn't get over that re rewatching. Mm-hmm. But at the time, Raven was doing the hosting gig for The View. So they got to have a cute little mini cheetah reunion. In that chat, Raven thanked Lynn for being her rock during filming. And she said that Lynn kept her super sane in one of these movies, alluding to the Cheetah Girls too. And Raven added that if it weren't for her, y'all would have had to bail me out of jail in Barcelona, which... Whoa, it sounds like there was some serious drama going on at set during that time. I know, like spill the tea, Raven. 
Like, oh my God. Also, I agree. Lynn is one of my favorite parts of the movies. She is stunning. She's just such a master class. I also read that Adrian really looked up to her too on set and asked her lots of questions all the time about her career. So it's very cool that they had like a veteran actor on set who could look out for them too. You know, we know so many of these young stars are vulnerable and really looking to get ahead in their careers. And I think it's very special that they had Lynn there. She's an icon. She's a legend. But what has continued to kind of trickle out of the PCG post-Cheetah Girls world is that there's been some drama between Keely and Raven and Keely and Adrian. On Instagram Live in 2020, Keely and Raven were able to squash some of their issues because Keely actually apologized to Raven. Raven had said in the past that the kind of clicky and exclusive vibes on set were the main reasons why she elected not to participate in the third movie. So her and Keely were able to talk about that. Keely apologized. They made up. That's all fine and wonderful. However, it still seems like there's some deeper issues with Keely and Adrian that seem to still be around today. You know, these girls have literally known each other and worked with one another since they were <laughs> divas and diapers, no pun intended, but like since the 3LW days. So like there's going to be some drama. I guess that doesn't surprise me too much. And just hopefully they can get through it and, you know, reestablish that friendship. But in happier news in 2020, Sabrina Bryan actually referred to Keely as her best friend and explained how much of a support system she had been in her life. She also was Keely's maid of honor in her wedding. Like, I love this. Mm. Cheetah-licious. This is Cheetah all the way. That is so effing cute. It seems like, yeah, everybody had beef at one point except Sabrina. She seems genuinely so sweet and I love her. She was also one of my favorite characters. An unproblematic queen, right? But also at a more positive note, in 2020, Raven and Adrian united at a women's march in Los Angeles and sang a, a brief snippet of their Cheetah Girl song, one of Kelsey's faves, Together We Can. There's a super cute video on the internet. They're hugging and singing together. They also are in Raven's home together the sequel to That's So Raven. And Adrian has said in interviews that her and Raven's friendship has remained strong over the last 20 years. Again, I love that. I love that there's still friendships here. And the good news is that all of the ladies in one way or another have expressed interest and or openness to a reunion. So never say never. Let's pray to the cheetah gods. I actually would love to see what they could do with that. Like cheetah cubs? Yes. Cheetah girls next gen. I love it. Well, Mary, this was a fun walk down memory lane. I loved watching all these movies. Happy 20 years. Holy crap. Growl power. Happy birthday, Cheetah Gals. Because we are sisters. We stand together. You know what else we do together? We read the reviews on our podcast together. And we just are really grateful to everyone who takes the time to leave some nice words and give us five stars. So, on the last couple episodes, we've been reading all the reviews that you lovely listeners have left for us. And we want to read another one from Miss Chris the Priss. Can I just say, this username is A++. Amazing. <laughs> Miss Chris the Priss says, five stars. I love it. I'm obsessed with this podcast. I thought I was a pop culture junkie, but I'm still learning new facts for this podcast. I really think I could be a third member of this group with the late 90s, early 2000s obsession. Keep it up. Miss Chris the Press, we would love to have you on ah. to discuss a topic of your choosing. So if you guys love listening, 
please give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave a review if it's positive. We're always open for any feedback that you guys have or episodes that you want to hear, topics that you want us to dive into, memories you want to reminisce about together mm. collectively. Just DM us at When They Popped Pod. We also post a bunch of fun clips and videos there. So follow us there to make sure you're not missing anything. And thank you guys again so much for listening. We love you and appreciate you so much. Bye. Bye.